This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host for Upstream and Perspective, Jessica Nelson. I'm joined by Dan Pratt and Andrew Byrne from our Companies and Transactions team to talk about the mergers and acquisitions landscape. It's a pleasure to have you both with me today. Oil and gas operators showed renewed confidence in 2018 as prices rose through September. Uh, We saw dividend increases, share buybacks, and increased acquisitions. I'd like to hear from both of you. How do you see the industry's mood shaping up as we enter 2019? Um, Sure, I'll start. Um, So I think the mood is actually quite different. Um, You know, coming into 2018, uh, I think, you know, certainly kind of coming off of the price decline in, in, in years prior, uh, there was really much a, a strong shift, particularly within the North American EMP sector, investors for more capital discipline, uh, a more focus on returns and returning capital to shareholders. But there was still that element of growth out there uh, that the EMP companies needed to achieve. Um, and obviously, 2018 was a much higher price environment. Uh, and so I think there was a relatively high level of confidence optimism, and I think more importantly, higher levels of cash flow. So the E&P companies themselves uh, were able to, I would say, um, um, provide uh, both both sides of that of that balance. So the high cash flows allowed these guys uh, to not only kind of reach their production targets through, through their capital expenditures, but also do things like um, support higher dividend yields, uh, do some share repurchases. Um, so I think going into 2019, given the price volatility we've seen the last couple months, and I think just broader uncertainty globally, uh, you look at the volatility in the stock market uh, coming into the year, I think higher geopolitical risk uh, in the U.S., Europe with Brexit uh, and other areas. I think there's just a a broader sense of of, of more uncertainty uh, going forward. Obviously, most pressing is the volatility within the commodity prices we've seen uh, the last several weeks. So, you know, at these lower prices, we're right around $50 plus, $52 today TI. Uh, and given that uncertainty, I think we've seen a lot of caution uh, among the EMPs, and Andy can talk about that in a little bit more detail. Um, but I just think in generally, uh, and, and at these prices at this $50 range uh, where we are today, these capital allocation decisions uh, are going to be a little bit harder. There's going to be less cash flow satisfy both sides of that balance beam. Um, so we're seeing a lot of caution and I think just a general uncertainty right now. And and Andy can talk about, you know, uh, some of the lack of recent guidance that we've seen from these companies and what that may mean. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, Dan, I $50, I think, is really a, a, a key inflection point. Uh, last, last week, Occidental said it would be cutting its 2019 CapEx if uh, WTI, uh, WTI was going to average $50 this year. So I think $50 is really that sort of that inflection points where it really gets to that hard and difficult decision. Um, I did a CapEx report that got posted on November 16th uh, following the third quarter uh, releases. And at that time, the companies were quite um, confident 
quite, uh, you know, happy um, that early releasers were guiding towards a 10 to 15% CapEx increase at that time. Since then, oil, oil prices have, uh, you know, fallen quite a bit. And uh, fewer companies have been, uh, you know, giving 2019 guidance, but right now, that 10 to 15% CapEx increase is now down to maybe zero to 5% increase. So I think really at $50, you're looking at maybe flat. Um, below $50, you're looking at CapEx reductions. Uh, $60, you're looking at getting back into that 10 to 15% CapEx spending increase. So going from a 10 to 15% CapEx uh, increase for 2019 uh, down to, you know, flat, that really shows a big shift in the industry's mood just to, just in the last quarter, and so we're, uh, you know, what was interesting, there were all half the number of companies were giving 2019, you know, go forward year guidance at the end uh, at the third quarter releases as they had the year before. So I think companies were cautious about giving 2019 guidance given the volatility that was happening at the time. So we're, uh, it's very interesting to see how the, you know, how the mood has changed and that option or that uh, capital allocation decision is going to be very difficult this year uh, between volume growth and returning capital to shareholders. And given, you know, uh, people are going to be looking at really sort of that $50 price forecast as, uh, as uh, you know, their budget plans. It's going to be uh, there are a lot less uh, cash flow available uh, for the for to return to shareholders. So um, big big trade off. Interesting to see how they uh, they make those calls. And how about investors? How are investors reacting to some of this uncertainty in the market? Are you seeing that reflected um, with what you're hearing from them too? Oh yeah, um, investors are uh, not particularly pleased. You could say uh, pretty much. All of our stocks uh, in the North American EMP space are trading at considerable discounts to our net asset value. So um, not a lot of love going on, I guess. And North American ENP has shown a degree of resilience in the lower oil price environment led by the Permian Basin investment. I remember one of your reports in late 2018 talking about the sizable disparity in Permian per acreage deal values, um, pretty large ranges there. So let's talk about that Permian. Uh, do you see the trend of resiliency continuing with Permian specialization into 2019? Uh, well, t 2019 definitely going to be a challenge for the Permian operators, given the bottleneck situations, not to mention the, the uh, you know, lower uh, oil price forecast for the year. Um, I think they'll continue to be resilient, and, uh, you know, it's a very competitive space, and uh, the EMPs are very responsive to market conditions, and, uh, you know, they'll be, uh, you know, got to give them credit. They're very creative, and uh, they'll find solutions. Um, you know, for the specialization, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, the Permian is widely considered the best play, uh, oil-rich or liquids-rich play in, uh, you know, in the U.S. onshore, uh, perhaps in the world. Uh, so... You know, specialization has been rewarded. Companies that are pure play Permian operators have tended to trade at a premium to uh, companies that might have had a basket of uh, other plays. Um, when you're looking at the quality of the portfolio, 
being 100% in the best play is going to beat being uh, not 100% in the best play. So, you know, there there is that specialization is there. Uh, the risks of specialization are going to be shown this year uh, with the uh, the bottleneck situations that we have in the Permian, but that's largely seen as a short-term situation. Uh, where companies that can will tactically reallocate some capital to plays like the Eagleford, where you get premium pricing uh, on their crude. But, you know, that is just going to be a sort of a, a temporary thing for, for this year with everybody looking uh, for 2020 uh, with uh, resolution, a lot of the bottleneck situations. Yeah, and I'll just, I just touch on the resiliency part a little bit. I think one of the things that's a little different uh, this time is, is the presence of the majors. So if you look at, you know, particularly in the Permian where you have Exxon, Chevron, I mean, we still see some CapEx increase uh, within the within the majors as a whole, kind of in that kind of 5% uh, range for 2019. They tend to obviously, because of their diversified businesses, uh, business model have a, a, a more steady flow of, of, of cash flow. Uh, but within that group specifically, uh, you know, the big driver of the CapEx, in, at least this year, is, is, is Exxon. And a lot of that is going to into. And so when you talk about just the overall resiliency of the activity level of the investment, uh, it may hold up uh, a, a little bit stronger this year for different reasons than last time. Uh, and that one reason could be because of the amount of capital and activity being generated by majors uh, in 2019 versus a few years ago. Yeah, that's a great point, Dan, because, um, you know, normally, you know, we, we're really expecting the E&Ps in the Permian to be reducing or moderating their spending, whereas the majors are going to be sort of drilling through the cycle and they're not really going to be slowing down. Uh, so normally, if in the Permian absence, the presence of the majors, you'd see activity levels come down, and with that, the uh, service costs would come down. Well, if the uh, majors are in there and they're really going to continue to be active, then maybe you're not going to really see that same sort of elasticity on service costs as you would in a normal uh, in a normal sort of uh, cycle. So, you know, it would be an interesting challenge for, for the resiliency, you know, how much, uh, how much uh, they can uh, keep their margins up. So continuing on that uh, topic of specialization, I know you guys contributed to a report in 2018 looking at the risks of specialization. The thesis of that being that specialization, while it creates efficiency, which you guys know investors love, but that creates new risk um, for operators. And we had a great example of that in Colorado when share prices of the Denver-Julesburg specialists fell dramatically in response to proposed legislation that would have limited fracking in Colorado. Uh, that legislation didn't pass, so the specialists survived, but it, it served as an interesting reminder to the industry, right? Um, are you seeing new concerns from operators or their investment or their investors on these types of risks of specialization? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start off, Andy, I think, on this one. Yeah. So I'll start from the investor angle, I think. You know, I, I don't personally, I don't, I don't feel like, uh, obviously, company to company investors are looking at these specific risks. Uh, companies exposed to, 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 to certain things like uh, like new regulations, uh, differentials, logistics, and things like that. So, uh, but generally, I don't think investors have a problem with with, with the broader uh, specialization. Uh, as, as you say, I think investors they have the ability to personally diversify their portfolio. So, I think investors are happy to take a, a pure play Permian, a pure play Bakken, mix in a Marcel, and, and diversify their portfolio that way. 
don't think investors are overly concerned uh, with, with, with specialization in and of itself because they can diversify their portfolio. Uh, I think operators, you know, they understand the risk uh, of specialization. Uh, there's obviously pros and cons to being a specialist. Uh, and I think they look at, uh, you know, the, 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 the pros of uh, equation, being able to focus, being able to be more efficient uh, and, and, and potentially grow a little quicker, faster, uh, and more cost effectively. Uh, and they, they certainly weigh that uh, versus the, the risk of being a specialist. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's understood and, and I don't think it's going to change all that much uh, until the portfolios start to change. I think, you know, as long as there's uh, opportunity within their portfolio to continue to grow uh, and, and, and achieve those efficiencies, uh, as that portfolio or that inventory starts to run out, then I think is where you start to have questions of, is it time to expand? And expand could mean a lot of different things. Does it mean expand in our current core areas? Or does that mean, you know, we have limited opportunities in these core areas? Do we need to expand somewhere else? So uh, I think, again, it's, it's hard to paint the industry with a broad brush. I think for the operators, it's going to be based on their kind of quality and length of quality uh, uh, within their portfolio. Yeah, I think um, from my side, you know, I have a couple of thoughts on it. Um, you know, specialization uh, gives you that competitive advantage. It's a highly competitive industry. The unconventional business, you know, each area is unique unto itself, and you really have to know what you're doing to really be a top operator. And so being a generalist where you're in a lot of plays or maybe in a lot of, you know, in a lot of things like conventional and deep offshore, deep water, LNG, you know, you might be okay, technically speaking, at all these things. But compared to a company that's uh, focused on one play in one specific area, unconventional, they're spending every minute of the day and every dollar that they have maximizing the value of that asset, they're going to become the expert in their area of specialization. And so they're going to have the competitive advantage. And, and investors are looking for companies with a competitive advantage. And historically, those Permian pure play companies have traded at a premium to others. And it's because they have that portfolio, which is 100% of the best play out there. And so the investors are like, I'd rather have that than somebody who's 25% Permian and 25% Eagleford and 10% and this and that. So one of the challenges for the specialization people like who are in the Permian is if you were to expand outside of the Permian, where are you going to go? What are you going to buy or get into that's not going to dilute the quality of your portfolio? Yeah, and in fact, we've seen the opposite, right, Andy? What we've seen is that, uh, you know, the pure, pure play Bakken guys, pure play right. Eagleford or other plays have really, they've diversified and gone into the Permian. Uh, so there's much less. There's only maybe one or two of these kind of pure play uh, companies left outside uh, of the Permian. So you don't see a lot of the pure play Permians diversifying into the other plays. What you're seeing is these uh, pure plays in other areas uh, diversifying into the Permian because, as Andy said earlier, that's been traditionally the best play. Uh, uh, and 
So yeah. the overall pure play universe has probably shrunk and is more concentrated in the uh, in the yeah. Permian. Yeah, because it's those other guys who are the Bach and, and the and the you know so like Oasis and PDC. PDC was uh, pure play in the in the DJ. Um, they did portfolio upgrading diversification into the Permian. So where do the Permian guys go if they want to diversify? So I think really what they're going to be doing to expand is, and, and you kind of saw in a big in, uh, starting last year with more corporate deals where you have um, company, you know, Permian on Permian competition, where rather than expanding outside, you're doing bolt-on acquisitions within the Permian. So you're not, you might be going into a new core area within the Permian, but you're not expanding outside of the Permian. The only other play where you really see a, a good core of specialized companies or pure play companies is the Marcellus. And they have the same dilemma. You know, if I want to stay gas, what other play do I buy into that doesn't dilute my Marcellus portfolio? It really doesn't happen out there. Uh, so you have a couple of the Marcellus guys uh, or Appalachian-focused operators looking outside of Appalachia, um, Gulfport being one of them. Uh, Range has tried it, and it wasn't very successful. So uh, there's probably more of an opportunity uh, or a market uh, necessity for the Appalachian gas-focused guys to be looking at um, you know, plays outside of the Marcellus, but maybe the instead of those kind of expansions with any free cash flow, they might be, they should be reducing their debt, but they, you know, so it's some form of returning capital shareholder for those Appalachian guys rather than maybe some outside of Marcellus expansions. How about any of those companies? I know you give some great examples there. Any uh, potential to expand out and include non-North American assets? Um, or growing through acquisition? Well, I think, you know, we kind of touched a little bit on the acquisitions uh, when talking about the Permian, uh, sort of, um, you know, there, there was certainly a flurry of activity when oil prices were rallying and went up into that $70 range. There was a flurry of corporate deals in the Permian. Um, you know, now that prices have, are certainly not anywhere as close to $70, um, there's probably a bit of more of a spread between buyer and seller expectations, so that might be having a damping effect on uh, the flow of M&A. I think companies who do have the balance sheet uh, strength will be shopping around for assets, looking for uh, high-quality assets and opportunistic deals, um, you know, doing bolt-ons, um, you know, so sort of uh, deals that are, you know, inventory accretive. Um, Regarding non-North America expansions, we've had a long trend uh, in the North American E&P space of the opposite happening, of companies divesting their international stuff and their offshore assets and focusing more onshore U.S. We don't really see that trend reversing. Um, there have been a handful of companies that continue to be internationally exposed. Um, Hess is probably the most uh, noteworthy right now, given the exploration and success they've had with Exxon in uh, offshore Guyana. Uh, major discovery there, a uh, lot of follow-up discoveries there. Uh, so there could be some interest in some of those 
globally diversified EMPs uh, exploring that play or those plays in that in that area, given the, the the tremendous success that's happened there. But we don't really don't see any other great international asset that these companies really need to, you know that are that's hot that they really got to have. So it's kind of a when compared to the Permian, you know, that sort of it's growing more internationally, kind of a tough, tough challenge to have. Yeah, and as Andy said, you know, most of these international assets uh, within the portfolios of these kind of global independents, uh, as Andy said, you know, the, the Conoco's, Marathons of the World, Hesses, you know, those international assets have been more a source of funds. And, and by that, uh, I mean, you know, they've sold those assets taken that capital and redeployed it back into North America. But, you know, for many of these companies who have sold off these large international positions over the last several years, there's not much left there to sell in their portfolio, if, if anything at all. So, you know, where do these funds come from? Uh, should they need to accelerate spending if they're going to overspend cash flow? Uh, we've seen in the past, you know, selling those international assets isn't an option anymore. Uh, so where do they get the source of funds uh, going forward? So that's something we'll be we'll be looking at. But I agree with Andy. I don't I don't see a big push right now or a, a 180 shift uh, in that strategy. I I don't think it's likely we see these guys push internationally anytime soon. Yeah, I thought Danny made a great point on the M&A being a source of funds for a lot of companies uh, that were outspending their cash flow, and uh, you know it can be a challenge. You know, if they've sold a lot of a lot of their assets, the easy things to you know, that they would want to get rid of uh, are gone. So if they want to continue to, you know, outspend cash flow by, you know, you know, either organically on, on drilling or, or continuing share buybacks, um, you know, that's probably going to be the motivation for a lot of M&A for, for some of the companies. It's been the, a source of funds to, uh, to reduce debt and do that kind of stuff, uh, return capital to shareholders. So, you know, tougher, tougher decisions now on that. So let's wrap with a question um, I also asked the Plays and Basins team on our last podcast. And uh, um, given the information you have today, right, uh, what's a catchphrase or a potential headline we could see from the oil and gas industry this year? Andy, you're good at catchphrases. What's a catchphrase? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dan. <laughs> uh, I think so, a lot of companies have been talking about playing defense. You know, it's time to play defense, not play offense. Yeah, I think maybe the best offense is a good defense. How about that? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you know, I think they're, uh, you know, it, it, it speaks to, uh, you know, at, at the $50 world, you're not going to be aggressive. Uh, you, you know, in growing your volumes, you're going to be looking at more towards capital preservation. Uh, so it's, it's, it's more of a, you know, watching your costs and, delivering on your uh, your volume gains. I mean, a lot of good volume gains are already baked into this year for a lot of these companies, so they can reduce capital and uh, capital spend this year if they want and still deliver decent volume growth. So, um, you know, a bit, bit of playing defense because you're really looking at 2020 in the Permian where those bottlenecks go, you know, are supposed to go, be, be gone. So you're looking at 2020 being, a, you know, a much stronger year on the on the operational side yeah for me i think you know i think we'll see just how committed these companies are to this kind of return of capital to to, to shareholders right uh, obviously there's been the, the pressure there uh in in 2018 as i said earlier the higher cash flows allowed them to achieve that growth 
uh, and satisfy that, you know, at, at a $50 price, 50 to $60 price, uh, I think that, 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 that willingness, uh, that fortitude to, to return that capital shareholders is going to really get tested in 2019. So that, that age old debate of, you know, kind of return versus growth is going to get tested. So I think that'll be, I don't know if it's a catchphrase, but I think it's certainly a theme yeah. for 2019. Yeah. Drill, baby, drill is a great cash phrase. I don't know if there's a great catchphrase for let's return shareholder capital. Guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I hope you'll uh, you'll join us as we uh, see price fluctuations and things change in the market throughout 2019. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jessica. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.